Y'all are a lively bunch today. We have the uh, fellowship coming this Saturday night, couples fellowship, and my wife and I were talking the other day, and she said, "Hun, I've come up with some some ideas for for dressing up." She said we could go as sweet and salty. Then I said, what about sweet and sour? We know who would dress up as the sour one, right? <laughs> All right, well, it's good to see everybody today. If you haven't signed up for that fellowship, I encourage you to do so. It's Saturday night. There's some en- envelopes out there in the foyer. Pick one up. They're yellow envelopes. Pick one up. We're having a nursery, so um, it's a great night to come out and to fellowship uh, with one another. And uh, look forward to seeing how you guys are going to be dressed up, All right. So come Saturday night, and if you have any questions about that, Cindy Armand, throw your hand up. There's Cindy back in the back. She's by the guy in the yellow shirt. His name's Ed. So if you're interested in uh, the fellowship, have questions about it, make sure you see Cindy, or you can see myself, and I'll point you to Cindy, all right? Wanted to make, uh... yes, today is the last day to sign up, all right? So make sure that you do that uh, today. I also want to make mention of our small group ministry. I know uh, many of you have taken advantage of that over the past, but uh, if you'll look in your side of your bulletin, there is a, a, a small handout there for you to consider an insert, and it gives you uh, a description of the different uh, small groups that will be um, going on this fall, and I encourage you to sign up. It's a great opportunity because small groups are an opportunity to get to know people within the body of Christ. It's a time for study. It's a time for prayer, it's a time for fellowship, it's just on a small scale, and you get to know the body of Christ. So if you've been coming to Grace for a little while, and um, you don't know as many folks, but you'd like to get to know some folks and study God's Word together, I'd encourage you strongly to consider um, joining a small group. I wanted to make mention of those two things uh, this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to um, 1 Thessalonians in the 5th chapter, and I just want to read beginning in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to make mention, I was going to mention this later, but uh, spirits kind of want me to mention it now, so I'll mention it now. Today is um, a time we get to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper together. And it is a celebration because there's only one that could take away sin for all time, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ today, it's an opportunity, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, to remember, remember what, what he did for us. And that's why we partake of the elements, the bread and the juice, because we remember the body and blood of our Lord. And um, as believers in Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior, then not only do you value that relationship with Christ, but you val- value the fellowship with Christ. And those are two different things. The relationship is forever. The fellowship sometimes can be broken if we're not walking with the Lord as we need to. But one of the things about fellowship, too, is not only fellowship with um, the Lord, but it's fellowship with the body of Christ. And Paul, in the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, talks about some of the keys to that. And I just want to read this for our consideration this morning. I'd ask that you stand as we read uh, God's Word together. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you 
and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Well, this is good, easy instruction, isn't it? See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. It's it heavier as we go. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the next time you want to know what God's will is, just read these few verses, and that will keep you busy for a lifetime. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. Without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are looking forward to that coming? Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. So, Lord, there's a lot to consider just in that passage. That might be a good 10-week series. There's so much to consider in there. Of how we are to live. What do you expect from us? Uh, your expectations are, are great. We're thankful that we don't have to um, try in our own strength, but your spirit resides in those of us who know you. And um, I believe, Lord, you give us the key in Ephesians that we're to be controlled by your spirit. And that's a daily invitation. Your spirit would control us. So, Lord, we want that this morning. I pray that's true. And that we've come with prepared minds to worship you. Um, whatever's gone on in the week, um, I just pray, Lord, that we're able to kind of um, put that on pause as we consider what we do here today. Um, Lord, I want to pray for uh, Kathy Hightower. They had to take her earlier. She wasn't feeling well. and Just pray for her, Lord, and uh, pray for Katie, um, her daughter, as she watches after her mom. And uh, Lord, we're thankful that she has that person in her life that loves her so much and is right there by her side. So we just commit her to you in a special way today. And Lord, as I was... I was Looking on Facebook yesterday a little bit, um, I saw a lot of the college students heading off. And Lord, we just pray for them. Pray for their protection, Lord. Um, the enemy certainly wants to get them. And I just pray you'd protect them. I pray, Lord, that they would grab on to the roots that they have in knowing you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them confidence. And um, Lord, that you would help them to walk by the Spirit each day. And uh, help us to remember them. Help us not to forget those kids that go off and, and uh, to colleges around, not only around Birmingham, but 
state of Alabama and even further than that. We just commit them to you, Lord, and we just thank you uh, for the time you've given us together today. And uh, I pray that uh, what we do today would honor you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. I 
will bless his name again He's here Listen closely Hear him calling out your name He is here And you can touch him the same He is here Hallelujah He is here Oh Amen He is here bless his name again he is here listen closely hear him calling out your name he is here and you can touch him be the same He is here and you can touch Him You will never be Oh, you will never be the same Thank you, David. That was fantastic. And you will never be the same when you come to know Christ. And um, I trust that is uh, going on in your life right now, that, that you're no longer the same and you're walking with Him um, and talking with Him every day. Take your Bibles and go to Philippians in the first chapter. We'll begin a new series together in two weeks. But today and next week will be different kind of Sundays. And um, I wanted to uh, really get away from Philippians 1, but the Lord wouldn't let me. I was like, Lord, they're so familiar with it, they're just going to go to sleep. That's not in my control. If you need a nap, take a nap. You know, four years ago today, my mom went to be with the Lord. Can't believe it's been that long, but it has. We had this last week two men that went to join her, uh, that went to be with the Lord. And uh, Stan Lofton and Aaron Goodwin, two funerals in one week. And it's a blessing and a privilege to be able to speak at the funeral of a believer. 
There's a lot to say. So much so that those sometimes that are sitting out there that kind of look at you funny, you go, Lord, they probably need you. And I know that um, the families would want to know, want you guys to know they're really appreciative of, of you taking your time to go and to stop by the funeral home, and some were able to attend the funeral, but two men that truly loved the Lord and had a passion that was really incredible when it came to the gospel. They wanted their family to know, and they wanted everyone to know. I kind of said that Friday as I was, or as I was speaking at Aaron Goodwin's funeral, that if he was here, he would want everyone to know that Christ indeed is the Savior, and there is no one else. So, I say all that because this morning I want you to not only consider where or if you belong to the Lord, but I want you to consider your sanctification. I want you to consider your life. There are some people that do that, and only do that like from day to day. Some of us actually look into the future And as you get older, you think a lot about the past and while the years go by, but you do think about the future. There's a story about a young man who came to see W.E. Gladstone when he was Prime Minister of England. And he said to the Prime Minister, could you just give me a few minutes to talk with you? Gladstone replied, absolutely, I can give you a few minutes. The young man said, I want, to tell you, I want to tell you about my future, my plans for the future. He says, I really want to study law. Gladstone said, that sounds good. What do you want to do after that? The young man said, I would like to gain entrance to the bar of England. The prime minister said, what about after that? The young man said, I hope to have a place in parliament in the house of lords. The prime minister said, what about after that? Young man said, I would like to do great things for Britain. The prime minister looked at him and said, what about after that? Well, sir, I guess I'll retire and take it easy. The prime minister said, what about after that? The young man hesitated for a moment and said, I suppose I will die. And the Prime Minister said, what about after that? The young man hesitated again and said, I never thought about that before, sir. And looking at the young man in his eyes, Gladstone said, you are a fool. Go home and think about life and death. Like, woo. I don't know about you, but when I was young, when I was in college, I didn't think much beyond what was going on in college. I was just enjoying college, enjoying myself as a young man. And I know I didn't really consider as much as I should have my life with Christ, but I want us this morning, just for a few minutes, because when we have the Lord's Supper, it's hard to teach for 30 to 40 minutes because we still have this going on, but... I wanted you to consider strongly what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. 
Because while many may know the statement, I don't know that all of us could say we really know the context and really how strong of a statement this was by the Apostle Paul, who was at the time when he was writing imprisoned. That's what makes the fourth chapter so amazing. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I mean, right, he's in, he's in prison. Rejoice? It's kind of sounds like, what are, you, what are you talking about? But in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes these words in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Who are you living for? I think that's an appropriate question to ask this morning as we consider this text. Who are you living for? In the circle of your life, is it all about you? Is it all about someone else? Or truly, is it all about Christ? That's pretty big deal isn't it, to consider. And so you can ask me the same question. That, who are you living for? Because that's an appropriate thing for you to point right back to me and say, who are you living for? Um, we find a lot of people in our culture living for themselves, don't we? It's all about me. That's kind of the, the theme for our culture. But it shouldn't be the theme for the believer. The theme for the believer should not be, I'm living my life for myself, but my life is Christ. Just like Paul says here in Philippians 1. So it brings the second question, if the first one didn't hit you. What are you living for? What are you living for? Well, some live to get married, right? Some live to have kids. Listen, I love being married. Don't you, dear? <laughs> I didn't plan on saying that, but I thought it was appropriate. 34 years. 31 wonderful years. <laughs> Those first three were kind of rough. But it was all my fault, so I take full blame for that. Um, three boys grown now, three young men, three granddaughters. Indeed, the Lord has blessed my life. So, as much as I love them, I'm not living for them. That sounds weird, right? But you look at the language in the life of Christ. I mean, he, he says forsake mother, brother, all that. And you're like, well, that's kind of radical. I think all it is is this, that Christ is the center. He's the center of my life. Everything else functions off of that. But he's the center. And so when I look at what Paul's writing here, it is quite amazing. In fact, I've labeled it his personal testimony. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There are a couple of things about that first part of the statement that Paul makes that need to be considered. First of all is the word order. You're like, all right, Thad, what in the world are you talking about? Well, do you know when you go to uh, the Greek text, the original text, the word for there is not the first word. You know what it is? To, to me, to live is Christ. So the initial phrase stresses the importance of the apostle's statement. To me, to me to live is Christ. So then the natural question would be, 
For us, to me, to live is what? What is it? Is it survival? <laughs> right day to day? Is it making money? Is it making enough money so I can retire comfortably? And listen, guys, don't, don't we feel squeezed in by the world on all sides? Well, it, I mean, aren't you just, I mean, didn't it about retirement? You're living for retirement because you deserve it. All God's children deserve it. So the word order is quite important. And then the first verse is quite important because if you'll notice the little pronoun there, it's for to what? Me. Everybody say that. Me. Me. So Paul's not including anyone else, is he? He doesn't take the liberty to say for to me and Timothy to live as Christ. He includes him in the first verse. But when you get to verse 21, he doesn't include him. Does that mean that Timothy, for Timothy, he couldn't have said that? Well, he may have been able to say that. But what's Paul doing? He's saying, for to me? Isn't that what we want for our children? Parents? Yeah. Isn't that what we want for our grandchildren? You know, we're about a generation away from the church in the United States really going down. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I, I believe it with all my heart. We're a generation away from many empty seats in a sanctuary. We're a generation away from the doors closing. Now, who likes to hear that, right? I mean, no one does. You're sitting there going, really, that? I mean, you believe that? I believe that. Statistics, you know how statistics are, but 100 churches close every day. The average attendance in church in North America is 90 to 100. You say, man, look at all those big churches. Yeah, well, wait until the latest and greatest goes away. And then you look on Facebook, and it's just so disturbing. I'm not going to mention names because I can't remember them. But you've got people that are saying, ah, I don't believe that anymore. I mean, I've read it on Facebook. Some singers. I don't believe in Christ anymore. What are you talking about? How many of you believe in Christ today? You know what? The church at large... There are many who suffer for the cause of Christ all around the world. And it hadn't reached here like it has in other parts of the world. It's coming. Things are being stripped from us. L listen, one day, and it's happening, some already in certain states, to talk about marriage between a man and a woman, I mean, you know, and not being accepting of other choices is just wrong. And so one day for a pastor to stand up in the pulpit and say, this is what God says marriage is, well, come with us, you're going to be put in jail. And then we see her going, oh, is that really going to happen? It's going to happen. We're just one generation from losing it. And so the question becomes, as I was thinking about, like, you know, Lord, what's the answer? You know, and people have said for generations, we need revival. We could use a revival in the United States. And do you know where that revival needs to start? With our young people. 
But then as I started thinking about that more, I'm like, really? With our young people? Yes and no. I think it starts with me. So you know what our kids need to see the most? Not us coming to church. You're like, Dad, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this. You know what they need to see out of me and out of you? For to me to live is Christ. And if they see for you to live as Christ, you know where you're going to be? Here. You know where you're going to be? In the book. You know where you're going to be with your kids around, huddled around and reading scriptures to them and, and talking to them about the greatness of God? That's where you're going to be. <laughs> and then your kids are going to go, wow, mom and dad, they're so radical. Yeah, they are. And my grandparents, they're really weird. They're really radical. Yeah, they are. And they're not radical for a church. Are you listening to me? They're radical for Christ. See, and that's exactly what's going on here. Paul's just radical for Christ. I mean, imagine him walking around the United States today. What would that be like? Whoo, man. You think he'd offend a few people? So Paul's just saying about himself, for to me to live is Christ. Man, I could talk about that for 45 minutes. Let's look at the next part. Before we get there, I ask you the question. Consider today. You can remember this is easy homework. For to you to live is what? Now listen, I don't know your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know one that does. And he's the same one that knows what's going on with me. Isn't that cool? It starts with me and gets to you. So, we move from a personal testimony. I called it a clear testimony. He's got a very clear testimony. And there's two things we want to consider under that. First of all, to live for Christ equals karpos ergu. Isn't that cool? Some words you just want to throw up there because you just need to know them. You just want to say them. You can go home saying karpos ergu all day long. And all that means is fruitful labor. But it's very critical. Because you consider what Paul's saying here. Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean retirement for me. Is that what he says? This will mean traveling around the world for me. <laughs> doing what I want to do. I went on one cruise. I hope I never go on another one again. <laughs> Dear. <laughs> I felt trapped for two days. I don't like being trapped. I do not like the feeling of being trapped. There's nowhere to go. You're stuck. And we're up in Alaska area. We're not going to jump in the water up there. Right? He says, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor. Karpos ergu. You know what that means? This is what that means. This is what Paul was saying about his life. Fruitful labor means everything, and he could, you, we could say it this way, everything that he did 
or everything that Paul did was with or in true partnership with Christ. Everything Paul did was in partnership with Christ. See, he didn't just labor to labor. His labor was with Christ. In the context of the passage, then, I go, well, okay, don't you wish Paul would just provide this list of fruitful labor? What in the world? I mean, we need something to, to hang on that tree. What are you talking about? That's a good question. And he answers the question. Here it is. Look in verse 23. It's not in 23, so if you're looking for it in 23, it's not going to find it. He said, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. That's quite a statement as well. I mean, is that your desire to depart and be with Christ? For that is very much better. Not just a little better, very much better. Big time better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And then he tells us about this issue here of fruitful labor. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for, because, that's the idea, because, or for your progress and joy in the faith. There it is. That's why. He's going to remain on in fruitful labor, labor for their progress and joy in the faith. In other words, I'm remaining on for your sanctification. That's what he's talking about. Your sanctification. Your progressive sanctification. I'm here in order to encourage you in the faith. That's what he's saying. In order you would find joy in the Christian life. You know, I think, as I was thinking about that word joy, do you have joy in the Christian life is a very good question. Or is it something you struggle with? Because joy in the Christian life can be found in the worst of circumstances. Amen? Amen. Why? Because who's in control of all those circumstances? The Lord. i got to believe he's on the throne. So the Apostle Paul here says, convinces us, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress. And for your joy in the faith. Because as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he wanted these believers to do what? Grow. Grow. And it's easy to become stagnant. And it's easy to lose that joy. It is. Um, David, at one point in his life, man, he restore unto me the joy of my salvation. What was wrong with David? He was in sin. So I go, well, sin, living in sin, does not equate to joy, does it? No, it doesn't. So joy is extremely important in the Christian life. And the Apostle Paul knows that, and he says, convinced of that, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Well, that word ergu, fruitful labor, you know, that word can mean laboring for someone or something to the point of exhaustion. Been there and done that, right? You ever labor to the point of exhaustion? That's the idea. That in the Christian life, in Christian circles, 
You and me, who are servants of Christ, labor to the point of, the, of exhaustion for Christ, but it benefits others. You get that? So that's what Paul was doing. He was laboring to the point of exhaustion. He was even in prison for the purpose of what? Ultimately glorifying Christ. But who was the benefactors? Who were the benefactors? The church at Philippi. Well, there's this verse in 1 Thessalonians that talks about this very same thing. And we read it today. Paul says, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Can I talk about that for just a minute? I have been so blessed in my life to have men who diligently labored for Christ. Two of them are my professors and they're in this congregation. Labored for Christ. I have men that I worked with at Lake Charles Bible Church growing up, labored for Christ. Diligently. And when you're laboring for Christ, how many of you know this? Because you're already doing that. If you're laboring for Christ, sometimes it's really difficult. You say, well, why do we keep going? We keep going because at the end of the road is Christ. So he says, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their ergon, because of their work. <laughs> and he throws, <laughs> he throws it in there at the end, live in peace with one another. Because it's always easy to live in peace with yours, those that are in charge of you spiritually, right? No, I was being facetious. It's not always easy. So for Paul to live was Christ. But then he says to die is gain. That's weird, right? For a pagan culture, that would be a strange statement. The word there, gain, means advantage. In other words, heaven is profitable or valuable. You agree with that? It's profitable. It's valuable. Why is it profitable and valuable? What's the biggest reason? Class. Christ. That's why. Listen, and if you go to John, you don't need to turn there, but in John 14, I read this a lot of times at funerals, but I was reminded of it this week as I was reading the passage. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to who? Myself. Heaven's about Christ, guys. Oh, yeah, there's going to be reunions with other believers, but it's about Christ. So Paul says to die is gain. And, you know, later on in the passage, or in the book, we find that Paul really had a tremendous understanding of that. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, <laughs> from which also we eagerly await for a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord, right? Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. And I told you this before, but now you can write it down. I love what Tony Evans says. Heaven is a promotion, not a demotion. 
And you know what? We need to live like it is. And can I tell you something about Stan and Aaron? They knew it would be. Because in the times where Aaron was able to share with me, you know, after a stroke, he was very limited in conversation. But he was looking forward to heaven. And after Stan fell a few weeks ago and he, he had a really bad place over his eye, lost a lot of blood, ended up in the hospital, I went to see them at Cook Springs on a Monday. He had fallen on Sunday night. I didn't even know he had fallen. I just went to see him. I walk in. They're laying in the bed. Come on in. I was like, all right, you know. I, I'm in there, they're laying in bed, Stan said that, I want you to come over here. And I went over there and he didn't say much, if you knew Stan Lofton. When he said, come here, you better come here. So I walked around to the side of the bed and he says, I'm ready for heaven. Why could Stan say that? Because he knew the Lord is his Savior. Why could he say that? Because he viewed it as a promotion, not a demotion. All right. I've got a few things I want you to think about. that be all right? Good. Clay, here's the question. How do we help each other in our sanctification? Because that's exactly what Paul's talking about. So I'm, I'm going to give you something to think about. I think I gave you the first two on your handout. Accountability. There's a good four-letter word right there. Oh, no, it's not four letters. Accountability. You know, Paul was really accountable. Just read some of the books of the Bible and the Colossians. I mean, he's got a whole list of people he's accountable to. Right? Sometimes people view Paul like a lone ranger. He wasn't at all. Many in his ministry. Accountability is very important in the Christian life. We all need it. All of us need it. And I tell you the kind of folks you need to find in your life. And this is through experience. You need a Paul in your life. You need somebody in your life that is going to challenge you spiritually. You say, yeah, that, I don't like the way that feels. Oh, well, I don't either. I don't enjoy it. You know, but I know who those guys are. They'll punch me. Hurts. But accountability, I need a Paul. I need a Timothy. I need somebody I can invest in, right, that can be accountable to me. But ultimately, we're accountable to who? Christ. Don't mix up the order. So you need a Paul, you need a Timothy, and I think you need a Barnabas. Everybody know about Barnabas? His name meant what? Son of encouragement. Uh, by the way, not everybody has that gift. And it comes difficult, Right? I mean, how, how, many, how many times have you gone, man, I'm really going to encourage that person today. Like, well, I better back up, maybe, you know. I mean, it's difficult. So we, what do we do? We go, well, I can't do that. No, we say, Lord, help me do that. Well, so I had secondly there, live the one another passages out faithfully. You really wouldn't like, you know, a lot of these, and I'm, I didn't give you all of them. I only gave you like five blanks, right? So I gave you the easy ones. Bear one another's burdens. That's easy, right? You know, context there is really critical. In Galatians 6.1, Paul's describing a guy who's walked off in the ditch. That's the picture. 
He's not living like he needs to be living. And then you go to chapter 6, verse 2, and it says, bear one another's burdens. Okay, I'll take all those burdens that, that are, you know, not too rough. But listen, there are people in this sanctuary right here, right now, that are carrying heavy burdens. And you know what? They need somebody to walk alongside of them. The one another's, be devoted to one another. Well, we don't live in a culture like that for sure. So if we're devoted to one another, that's going to be really different for folks outside the church to figure out. The next one's really difficult. Forgive one another. Can I just talk about this one real quick? Because maybe you're having to deal with that. I don't know. But in the passage in Ephesians 4, Paul writes these words. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and then he says forgiving each other. That's a pretty good list. But did you know he adds words to that forgiving each other? He says, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Whoops. Uh-oh. Heavy. Heavy. How has God in Christ forgiven us? Answer? Completely. Remember what Peter said? Hey, Lord, how often? In his mind, three times would have been good. The Lord says what? 70 times 7. Over and 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 over. And that's how the Lord forgives us. So that's how we help one another in our sanctification. We forgive. Because listen, I've needed forgiveness. I've needed that. I've had to ask for forgiveness many times in my life as a Christian. And I've had people ask me for forgiveness many times in my life as a Christian. And you know what I can't understand? I can't understand Christians who say, I just can't forgive that person. We're not asking you to go to Dairy Queen with them. We're asking you to forgive them. Although I do like Dairy Queen. And I really like their strawberry shakes. But we're not asking you to do that. What's the Lord saying? Forgive. Now I do think eventually it's fellowship. You say, well, that where you get that? I'm going to give you an example. We can read it this afternoon. You remember the one in Corinthians? The one who had his father's wife? You remember that? And they're arrogant and they're proud. They're not dealing with the sin, you know, and Paul's just slamming them. Well, this person belonged to the Lord. Well, something happened, right? There's either two or three letters, or at least a couple letters we may not know about that were written to the Corinthians. But we do know when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, do you know what Paul's telling them to do with this person? Evidently, there's a change that had taken place. What does he say to them? Hey, uh, say, hey, it's good to see you. Or does he say, walk beside them? You love that answer, don't you? Walk beside them. Man, my goodness, who, are, who do we think we are? Man, I've needed forgiveness a million times in my life. As a Christian... Because, you know, and even some people in here. Right? Hey, listen. We're around each other a lot. That's why I encourage you to put on deodorant. But there's times we stink. 
There's times I stink. It's true. Well, he says comfort one another and that's in the context of Christ coming back and what happens to those that die. And then he says keep fervent in your love for one another. You know, I didn't understand that when I first got married. She'll testify. You know, that whole agape thing, you know, that, and everybody knows the definitions. You already have them down in your notes somewhere in your Bible. You just hadn't looked at them in a while, right? The, the love meaning sacrificial and unconditional. Don't we love those definitions? Right, dear? Don't you love that definition? It's difficult, is it not? Man, we can go right to the person who sacrificed the most, can't we? How much did Christ love us? Get this. He did nothing wrong. He didn't deserve the cross. But he loved me so much, he died for me. So that I won't have to take the penalty. Man, I don't know about you, that's a great deal. As I get older, I often wonder, I think a lot as I get, as I've gotten older, I think all the time. I can't shut my mind down. But one of the things I think about is, man, Lord, this greatest love story, why did people reject that? They can't see. That's why. Well, this morning, we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And I wanted to give you one more thing to consider before Ron comes up. See, I even have it labeled, one more consideration. The book of 1 Corinthians 11, we have the instruction concerning the Lord's Supper. And from time to time, we might pass over this word maybe a little too much, but he tells us to examine ourselves. Now, the Corinthians weren't doing a real good job at that. They were drunk at the love feast. They weren't sharing with one another. And Bible says many of them ended up weak and sick and some of them were dead. They just weren't doing what God wanted them to do. That, by the way, that's pretty serious. Weak, sick, dead. I mean, weak's one thing, sick's another thing, dead's another. And while to, to die is gain, wow, what a way to go out. You're not walking with the Lord. That's what was going on. Well, in the midst of that, he writes about remembering the Lord, but then he also re- writes about examining yourself. So I thought, well, hey, let's just have a refresher this morning on the word examine. You know what the word examine means? It means to approve or to test or to scrutinize. And by the way, he says examine yourself. <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, if I was writing back, I'd be like, it'd be easier to examine the person next to me. Examining myself's difficult. It demands a tremendous honesty. The illustration there is to test whether something is genuine or not, oftentimes referring to metals. But in Thayer's lexicon or dictionary, he reveals that this word is tied to working with metal, particularly of coins and money, which once purified, weighed, and measured, the metal is deemed of sufficient worth and able to be used as an item of real acceptable value. What kind of vessels 
is the Lord looking for? Class, clean ones. That's what he's looking for. And so as we come to the table today, listen, I've got sin I have to confess, just like you do. We're not walking in different lines here. We're not in different boats. I sin and you sin. But you know what? There's forgiveness. And you know what the Bible says in 1 John? Confess. You know what the word confess means? Agree. I agree with God. It's a sin. How many times if we were really conscious about that during the day? <laughs> I confess. I confess. I confess. I grew up in a, I'll close with this. I grew up in a Louisiana. Many, many Roman Catholics around me. Many, many Roman Catholics around me. I'd say our school was 98% Roman Catholic. Lake Charles was probably about the same. There was one Bible church. We attended it. There was a big Baptist church. My friends, most of them went to confession. And I used to ask them just because I was curious. Do you guys tell them everything? We're like, most of the answer at the time was, oh, no, we don't tell them everything. What are you going in there for? And, and on several occasions, they would ask me, well, Thad, why aren't you going in there? Because I don't need to. Even though I wasn't making all the right choices, I did know the Lord. And I knew I needed to confess my sins to him. And I knew, just as John wrote, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Let's pray together. Lord, so I'm sure that all of us, or many of us, I guess all probably wouldn't be the right word, but I guess many of us in this room have considered this passage before. Might even have a magnet on the refrigerator that has this verse. It's one I know that the kids in Awana memorize at an early age. There's a lot of weight to what Paul's saying. I pray we consider that weight today. And Lord, as we come to the table this morning, and let's pray, Lord, that you would help us to enjoy our time of remembering. I think there's a balance in that. Of first of all, confession, examination, being genuine before you being honest about what we're like, the sins we've committed. But then we can celebrate because you forgive sin. And um, I'm thankful, Lord, you forgive a whole lot different than man does. I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to stay focused over the next few minutes as we consider the great price that the Lord Jesus Christ paid for us. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Lord, and we've come to remember all that he has done. Not just the things on the cross, but everything that he has done. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Let's all stand and let's lift high the name of Jesus. He's our king, he's our Lord, and he's our light. Let's, uh, let's lift high the name of Jesus right now. Lift high the name of Jesus. Love.
This morning we come to the table and let me just um, say before we um, pass out the elements that um, this is for everyone who belongs to the Lord as Savior. Um, you don't have to be a member of, of Grace Community Church at Deerfoot, but you need to be a member of the body of Christ. And it's clear from 1 Corinthians that um, we need to examine ourselves and be in right relationship, fellowship with the Lord. And so I'm going to ask the deacons and elders who have been asked to serve today to come up. And as they come up, let's just bow and um, just have some silence as we consider uh, what we'll do today together. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of being able to remember what your son did for us on the cross at Calvary. We thank you that his atonement was sufficient and that, Lord, um, there is forgiveness of sin. Thank you that we are able to today remember the body of our Lord. Every time I think about that, Lord, I think about the cross, but it's even before the cross where you're scourged that for me is where it starts. And just the, even before that is um, you're in the Garden of Gethsemane and you're sweating drops of blood. The agony, Lord, that was there. Um, I just want to thank you so much for dying in my place. I pray that we are grateful people today as we remember the body of our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Corinthians says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, what an amazing thing, <laughs> he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they ate together. Dr. Healy, would you pray for the cup today, please? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, 
We are grateful to you for the shed blood of Christ from a lamb without blemish and without spot. Mm. We thank you that through the blood of Christ, every sin that we have committed has been forgiven. Thank you that through simple childlike faith in the work of Christ, we experience redemption and an eternity of joy with you and the saints of the ages. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, angels long to understand this grace stuff. Um, it got me to thinking about First Peter. It says, Peter writes, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. And so that night when they were in the upper room, the Bible tells us that he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they drank together. We're so thankful to the Lord this morning that we no longer have to make a sacrifice every time we turn around once a year. But Christ died for us once and for all. And that's what this song is about. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. Let's all stand as we sing, close out today. strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter. In the love of Christ I stand In Christ alone who took on flesh Fullness of God in helpless pain This gift of love and right
close with these words and um, then we'll be dismissed Um, these are words from C.H. Spurgeon the believer did not always live to Christ he began to do so when God the Holy Spirit convinced him of sin and when by grace he was brought to see the dying Savior making a propitiation for his guilt from the moment Of the new and celestial birth, the man begins to live to Christ. Jesus is to believers the one pearl of great price for whom we are willing to part with all that we have. He has so completely won our love that it beats alone for Him. To His glory we would live. In defense of His gospel we would die. He is the pattern of our life and the model for which we would sculpture our character. Paul's words mean more than most men think. The words for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They imply that the aim and the end of his life was Christ. Yes, it was Christ. In the words of an ancient saint, he did eat and drink and sleep eternal life. Jesus was his very breath the soul of his soul, the heart of his heart, the life of his life. Can you say, as a professing Christian, that you live up to this idea? And I'll close with this last question. Can we honestly say that for us to live is Christ?
you are dismissed.